We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast in which we focus on the intersection between pop culture and Torah, where our understanding of Torah influences our appreciation of pop culture, and pop culture is our entryway into Judaism and Jewish values. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today we are talking about the Golden Globe winner for Best Picture, No Bad Land, now streaming on Hulu, just nominated for an Oscar as well. Mike, why don't you tell us about the movie? Right, probably now front runner for Best Picture at this year's Oscars. Uh, Nomad Land is a uh, film written, edited, and directed by the extraordinary Chloe Zhao, uh, who also won Best Director at the Golden Globes and uh, will. Uh, I predict will uh, be a strong contender, if not uh, the likely winner of Best Director at the upcoming Oscars, starring Frances McDormand in what I thought was a really beautiful and understated uh, and brave performance. Uh, but we can get into that uh, in the conversation. Uh, follows Frances McDormand uh, as a woman who leaves home uh, or is uh, in some ways uh, pushed out of home by. Uh, significant economic disruption uh, after the uh, the plant that she and her husband uh, worked in in Empire Nevada shuts down uh, and her husband uh, dies. Uh, she sells most of her belongings and purchases a van to live and travel around the country searching for work. She takes a seasonal job at an Amazon fulfillment center through the holidays. Uh, and then when the holidays are over, the uh, the work shuts down. Uh, she you know loses her home again, essentially, to the, a parking lot of a motel. Uh, and so a, a friend and coworker at Amazon named Linda invites Fern to a desert rendezvous in Arizona uh, organized by Bob Wells, uh, who... Uh, is sort of like the guru of uh, these nomads, mostly elderly people who have been uh, uh, dislocated uh, because of uh, economic conditions uh, all around the country. And so it sort of follows her uh, with this community of, uh, of, of fellow nomads. The film is noteworthy because it, uh, its cast um, is largely comprised of actual nomads real life nomads like linda right. may Swanky. that was really that was really impressive uh, amazing uh, you know that these uh, essentially amateurs put in i think i thought really extraordinary performances uh, bob wells as well uh, is uh, is a real life nomad uh, all playing fictionalized versions of themselves and it's based on a 2017 nonfiction book called nomad land surviving america in the 21st century by jessica bruder um, Jesse, what did you think about the movie? I really felt a lot of pressure to love it um, because it won Best Picture. I didn't. Um, I, I struggled with it. Um, I thought, uh, I'll, I'll start backwards. I thought the best scene was the very end, the last dialogue between Fern and Bob Wells. 
um, when Fern is talking about uh, leaving Empire and her, you know, her husband's memory and that idea of grief. And Bob Wells talks about um, it being the the fifth yard site, the fifth year anniversary of his son committing suicide, and how in some ways their the nature of them being nomads is that they are running from their their grief. I believe maybe in some ways. Um, for the, the style of the movie I didn't love. I, I struggled with their sort of being a beginning, middle, and end to the narrative. Although um, I have to check my privilege uh, because some of the the story I think was that there's no beginning, middle, and end. You know, the the story begins at the Amazon seasonal job in an RV park. Uh, we'll come back to talking about Amazon uh, at some point in this conversation. Um, you know. Christmas and the winter holiday season and New Year's, and then it ends the same place, the same job, uh, the same time frame, and that this is just a sort of cyclical process of wandering. There is no beginning, middle, and end. I think I had, you know, a challenge with understanding this because at several points, Fern. Um, was invited to right. She her, her sister said, "Just come live with us." Um, David, who was a nomad himself, um, was like, "Come stay with with my my son and his family," and she couldn't do it. And at the very beginning of the movie, uh, a, a young girl who she used to tutor asked her, "Said, you know, my mom says that you're homeless," and she says, "I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless." That's really hard for me because I would probably define her as homeless. Um, and, you know, I, I made a point to you, Mike, that if this was two generations ago, these wanderers may have been, you know, a tent city. Um, and, and because they're living in, in the back of a van on wheels, they're able to move from place to place. Um, I have a hard time understanding why somebody who I would define as homeless wouldn't want the opportunity to start over to have a roof over their heads that's permanent, that's warm, that's safe. But I also understand that a part of the the nomad nature is as much the seeing the country and, and living um, in, you know, these desert areas away from large populations as it is, as Bob Wells says at the beginning, sort of against the tyranny, as he calls it, of the American dollar and sort of consumerism and in a way trying to sort of live off the grid. That's something that I'm very much on the grid. Uh, and so I have um, trouble uh, appreciating. Um, finally, I'll say during this pandemic that has hit all of us in our communities hard, um, really caused me to check my privilege because Right, so that they're they're talking about okay, the seasonal job is the only job that they could get, and and then they wander for for a year, living on social security, um, living on you know a a portable stove or hot pot, and eating Campbell's soup for just about every meal, going on these seasonal jobs. Okay, yeah, to to Wall Drug, shout out to Wall Drug and U.S. Wine Wheel is the best part of South Dakota, um. Or the Badlands or, or something like that, really moving from seasonal job to seasonal job. But I don't believe it's because they were looking for a long time job. It, it was they appreciated the seasonal nature of it and the wandering of it. 
Right. Okay. I had a very different reaction to the movie. Um, you know, first of all, it's surprising uh, that uh, a a fellow USY on wheels head um, uh, did not uh, appreciate the romance of uh, of of traveling or roaming around the country. Uh, I I did appreciate over, Waldrug. I was over the moon by the uh, emphasis on Waldrug, uh, and uh, that was that was really really special to see. Uh, Waldrug, uh, first of all, for our listeners who have never been to Waldrug, um, you really should stop what you're doing now, pack up the kids in the car, drive to South Dakota, Wall, South Dakota, uh, stop in for some free ice water, uh, stay for the dinosaurs and uh, fake Mount Rushmore uh, and uh, some ice cream. Uh, and uh, Waldrug is, a, is, is an extraordinary place. It's the place where dreams are made of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now they're all going to be disappointed when they actually go. Uh, I, I am saying this literally. I, 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 if I could, if I could move and live in Wall, South Dakota, I would work at Wall Drug. I, I'd pack everything up and do it right now. Um, so my, my react, I, I, I did not react the same way to the movie. I thought that um, it, it, it uh, um, I was a puddle of tears from start to finish. I thought the uh, the filmmaking was beautiful and extraordinary. This is one of the first times in the pandemic. You know, I, I love going to the movie theater, seeing movies in, in, you know, in the way they're intended to be seen. Um, and I've missed that in a number of ways during the pandemic. But this is really, I think, the first movie that I saw that, you know, that I really was disappointed that I couldn't see it on the big screen. You know, I, I felt maybe that Wonder Woman 84 uh, would have been better if I had seen it on the big screen. Uh, this movie was... I thought extraordinary, even on the small screen, but these kind of stunning vistas that, that Chloe Zhao just kind of lingers on in, in the landscape. You know, I think that she does a really great job. She doesn't romanticize the nomad life. She shows how, how hard it is. And, and I, and I'm, I, 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 you know, I, and I struggle with this. Like, I think that she presents everything pretty non-judgmentally. You know, she has this kind of documentarian's eye, which I think is, is, uh, you know, emphasized by the fact that she casts the movie with actual nomads. Um, you know, it's it's a documentary without being a documentary, so it's really kind of presented um, non-judgmentally and non-romantically, just saying like this is this is what is happening with with these people. I think it's it's you know it it um, I, I think that what it does indict, and I think that you know it uh, through the voice of Bob Wells in this. Um, you really get a sense and through the portrayal of Amazon, you know, what, what is happening um, to, uh, to, to what used to be the American middle class, um, you know, the, the hollowing out of these communities by these um, unfathomably large corporations. Um, in uh, a, a really great book that I read a couple of years ago called The Unwinding by George Packer, who's a writer now for The Atlantic, uh, he 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 talks about the you know the the sort of you know decades long trends that have frayed the social fabric in in America um, that you know have been um, exacerbated. He, he spends a chapter uh, focusing on uh, on Walmart, uh, and so now Amazon is you know kind of like the new Walmart that's that's doing what Walmart did to Middle America um, on steroids. 
Uh, and and so you see the the uh, ramifications of that in this movie. I mean, just sure. from the just from the beginning, right? The zip code that uh, um, uh, you know uh, of Empire Nevada doesn't exist anymore uh, because the factory that was the largest uh, that was the largest you know driver of employment there you know shuts down, and the community is just gutted. At the end of the movie, uh, Francis McDormand's character right goes uh, to her old house. Right, her whole neighborhood is gone. Right. And, um, you know, and so she makes a choice of, uh, of, of, you know, packing up and living a certain lifestyle in a way it's a choice in a way it's not a choice. Right. She goes to the unemployment office and says, or the temp agency, I couldn't quite tell what it was. says like, I want to work. And the person there says like, sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. Right. Um, so yes, it's a choice to stay on the right. She, she has opportunities to live with her sister, to live with this, you know, family connected to, um, Dave, who she met in her nomad camp, but that's not her home. It's not her community, right? She would be grafted onto somebody else's life. Um, it's not a life of her own making. And I can understand why she bristles at that idea and she wants to live her life and she wants to sure. have her own in identity and her own integrity and her own uh, um, uh, to, to be in possession of her own uh, of her own destiny. Uh, I, I can understand that. And I can just understand, you know, therefore, like Swanky, another nomad that she meets. Right. Swanky, you know, I just it just tore me up inside. Right. That she said, you know, um, uh, you, you, she, uh, ha, you know, uh, was asked by her employer to go into early retirement. You know, she uh, looked at her Social Security benefits online and she had like five hundred dollars. Right. She had worked every day of her life, she said, since she was 15. She had five hundred dollars in Social Security benefits that she could like, what is she going to do with that? That'll last her a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months, maybe if you could stretch it, right? So she decides that the best thing for her is to like drive her car to Alaska and die, right? Um, and at least she can be, at least she can be in control of her destiny that way. Like it, it tore me up inside yeah. that this is, this is what is happening but to this people. These are the choices that people are being forced into, Right. And and primarily older people. Right. Shai Held, uh, Rabbi Shai Held wrote this just heart wrenching piece at the beginning of the pandemic about, you know, the staggering cruelty that we have in our culture toward the elderly. Right. And it's like shown in this. Uh, it's not it's no, you know, no wonder that most of the nomads that we saw in this movie were all retirees. Like, what are they going to do? Well, you know, what's really fascinating about that is. What made David, who was a nomad himself, uh, willing to be with family because he had family? And um, right, what happens, you know, with Fern when she doesn't have her spouse, who was her life, and never had kids? She has nobody anymore to connect to. Right, um, and, and so I, I do think that that's a valid point. That without that family, uh, the ultimate sense of community she felt lost. Um, I, I, do, I do appreciate that. I do want to say that I agree that I thought the, um, how the film was made. I thought that Chloe Zhao uh, did an incredible job. I thought the, the vistas, I thought the cinematography was 
really incredible. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, the the lingering on that, you know, was sort of like a visual representation. They didn't put the song in the movie, but it but it was a sort of visual representation of the message of this land is your land. Right. You know, so, uh, you know, Woody Guthrie writes this song that now, you know, is, is kind of sung as this patriotic anthem. But that was not what this land is your land was was meant as it was meant as sort of an an, an anti-capitalist commentary. Right. Mm. That we live in this, you know, extraordinary, bountiful country um, that, you know, that, you know, that is essentially owned and operated by the one percent. Right. He wasn't using that language back then. Uh, and, you know, like you know, he, there's a line in the original version. I can't remember exactly how it goes, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I saw a sign, you know, on a, uh, on an open valley, right. That said no trespassing. Right. And I said, this land was made for you and me. Right. So what I think Chloe Zhao is showing, or the, the, the story of Nomadland is showing is that, is that, you know, um, we have constructed a, a very selfish society. And here are people, and I thought that that was actually one of the most powerful moments in the movie. She goes to her, Frances McDormand's character goes to her sister and, and is there for a little while. And, you know, she's, she's sitting, she's enjoying, you know, barbecue. They're sitting outside and having a conversation. And, it, it, you know, the conversation with her, her brother-in-law and their friends who are About like real, real estate, estate developers, you know, it's like, I wish I could have gotten in on the ground floor of the housing collapse in 2008 so that I could be making, you know, fortune now capitalizing on what was, you know, just um, generational misery at that time. Right. And, and, and contrast that with the environment of the nomads, you know, I, 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 uh, I experienced this going to the developing world and, you know, I know that, that, uh, that you've had some of these experiences too, Jesse, where, you know, some of the poorest places in the world have been the places where I've experienced the most hospitality and generosity. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and you know, conversely, some of the wealthiest environments I've been in the world have been the most inhospitable and the, the most selfish, right? And, and, you know, what is that about? Um, is that something intrinsic to wealth that uh, that that you know cultivates within us a sense of you know possess possessiveness and selfishness? Is it something about poverty that cultivates a sense of humility and generosity? Um, I don't I don't know. The more sort of the more wealth that one has, right? There is that concern that the more you want that you're never satisfied with what you have. Right, and that, you know, so we have this teaching in, in Jewish tradition, right? Right, who's a wealthy person? The person who's satisfied with what they, with what they have, right? And, and, you know, ultimately, I think that, uh, you know, the nomads um, are, are happy with having little, like they're, they're really rich. Yeah. I think that, you know, in some ways it's showing that, like you can be rich having very little. Uh, and I guess, right, I am not somebody who cares about material goods in the same way that others may, but I don't know. Like, I, I felt for them. I mean, they, they were pooping in, in buckets, right? That, that's, that's, that's what they do, and they make a joke out of it. Um, is that something that one wants to be satisfied with? I, I mean, I, I saw those, that there were scenes where Fern, where Frances McDormand really, she was sleeping under 12 blankets because it got so cold at, at night. And 
to me, that's not being satisfied with what you have. That is not having enough. And I feel for people who don't have enough and want to create a, a, a society that allows people to have enough. I'm just not sure that that was, uh, that, that, that should be enough. And part of the problem is the acceptance that you can't change the, the consumerism nature of American society. You can't change the sort of the tyranny of the dollar as Bob Wells says. So the answer is to live off the grid in a way, refusing to give into it. Right. But I saw, you know, I saw this, there's, there's so much, I think within, uh, within Torah that, you know, speaks to, I don't know if it's the message of the movie, but you know, the themes explored in the movie, right. That, you know, the, the, the Torah talk, you know, Deuteronomy, especially Devarim is, you know, kind of littered with this idea that you're going to, you're going to enter the land. You're going to dwell there. You're going to be prosperous. And when you're prosperous, your heart is going to be hardened. You're going to say it was because of the, the strength of my own hands, the, you know, my grit, my, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I did this all myself. And you're going to, you're, you're, soul is going to be closed off to the need of other people. You need to be very cautious not to let that happen because your wealth did not come from you, right? That, that, I mean, you may have, you may have planted some seeds. You may have had, you know, good, you know, harvest years, things like that. But ultimately the land isn't yours. Ultimately the, you know, the, the sunshine is not yours. The water is not yours. Right. And so, um, Devarim especially, but but this is true, I think, throughout Torah, is to cultivate a sense of, you know, uh, of, of uh, expansiveness and, and generosity, right, that, that we're obligated to share what we have, right, we leave the corners of our fields, we're not allowed to go back and pick up the things that we drop, we, um, we you know, we, we cannot... Uh, refuse to loan people money when they when they need it um we're, we're commanded to uh ensure that there's no needy in our in our land um you know we 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 have to stop uh we have to let the land lie fallow every 7 years and have it be ownerless property for everybody to take because um it, you know because of the of, of the risks of, of what it looks like to have a society in which there is so much private ownership, right? That there's this, it's not that the Torah is against private ownership. It's not that the Torah is communist or even socialist, but it's certainly not free market capitalist, right? That, you know, that says, well, you know, if you manage to scrape yourself up into the 1% or be born into it, right? Then, then good for you. You're lucky and everybody else tough luck. Yes, I, I, I agree with everything um, that you're saying, right? If Deuteronomy says, as it does, there shall be no needy among us, um, but also says, as long as there are those in need, we should not close our hands or our hearts to them, right? Those two, the, the, those two verses are, are juxtaposed, one without uh, one, you know, three verses away from the other because of the understanding that while we strive to build a society, while there are no needy among us, the reality is that that is not what we are living in. And so as long as there are those in need, we help them. Um, absolutely, that's a society where there are no needy among us does not exist. We're continuing to build that society. And yet, um, 
there is a concern, right? That's those who may be in need. And I, I consider Fern to be somebody who is in need. Uh, those who may be in need, uh, whether it is pride or whether it's an acceptance of a lifestyle, have trouble, right? This is the, the, the challenge, the, the, the embarrassments, right? The self-esteem of asking for, for help, right? There was the point when she was parked in, right? Outside of a convenience store or a gas right. station. And the manager said, yes, you could totally stay here, but it's going to be cold. There's a, a church down the road that can provide you with a warm bed and a warm meal, but she didn't want that. But she doesn't want, ch this is the thing is, you know, uh, this is the difference between, uh, between charity and justice, right? Between mercy and justice, right? There's like, I, I can understand the, um, uh, the 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 desire not to want to take handouts from people, right? And to and to have the dignity of um, of you know even if it's uh, living a life of profound discomfort of at least being the one to be able to say like I, I'm I'm in control of this decision. This is the lifestyle I'm choosing for myself. I don't want to take handouts from uh, from other people, right? So um, I can understand the desire to refuse charity. What what for needs is justice, right? What all of these nomads need is is justice. Like that, they're they're uh, you know they're making a choice to step away from it. Like Bob Wells said, they're making a choice to step out of a of, of a system um, that is uh, designed to be unfair, specifically to people like them, right? And and until that, and I and I can understand the desire to to, to to choose to leave that system. Um, Can I ask, you know, th th there was an interesting scene where Fern reconnects with the young man um, who she mm -hmm. had first seen. And gave uh, a lighter to. Right, and gave a lighter to, and really talks to him as a young, because he's, what is he, 18, 19, and says, you know, do you have parents? What do your parents think? Don't you miss them? Do they miss you? Uh, and it was really fascinating how I saw the two of them very differently. You know, I, I felt for Fern, I felt for Swanky, I, I, I felt for Linda May for these seniors who work their whole lives. And then you, I think you're absolutely right that um, America's forgotten about them. Uh, you mentioned, right, Swanky talks about Social Security. The New Deal saved an entire generation of seniors from, from poverty, and yet it is failing generations later. And I worry is doing is we need a new solution because it's no longer saving uh, seniors from poverty anymore. But uh, I, I had much more trouble seeing an 18 or 19 year old who chooses this lifestyle. Um, who doesn't want more for from their lives? I I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the, there's an identification with more, um, uh, and you know the the you know definitions of um, success that are you know entrenched by uh, by the by the you know system that we've. That, that we're a part of, right? So, um, you know, I think that that young man, um, he didn't strike me as unhappy, 
And I think that, you know, I think that that's one of the things that the, you know, movie is, you know, is really kind of exploring is, you know, does, does having a, you know, a, 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 you know, four bedroom home with two cars in the suburbs and a, and a savings account, right. Is that, is that the definition of, of more that we're all, that we all should be striving for, right. Can, can one not live a life of meaning and beauty and joy um, uh, outside of, of, of that system. And you know, I, you know, I think, right. And, and like to, you know, to the point, you know, so Fern gives uh, this young man, you know, her, her lighter, you know, and, and, and a cigarette. Um, and then she re-encounters him and he gives her what looks to be like his prized possession, you know, this like lighter with a dinosaur fossil on it. You know, you could just see this, like this kid, you know, that, that like got this amazing, uh, you know, possession and he's just so willing to, to give of himself, um, rather than, you know, having a mindset of, you know, success is how much I acquire for myself. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a, uh, for a couple of minutes about the idea of wandering in general, because, um, well, this is right. So this is the, you know, the idea, I think, you know, why is the Torah spend so much time in the wilderness? Right. Why is it that the Torah itself is given in the wilderness? Right. There's there's there Midrashim that explore that idea. And one of the ideas is right, to, to say so that nobody says that, ah, because the Torah was given on my land, therefore I own it more than you. Right. right? And, um, and ultimately, as a people, right, the 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 Nach of Tanakh focuses on entering the promised land. But Torah itself is about the wandering. And, right, and, and, well, and our and, journey and also, is about wandering. Nach is also about like conquering know, uh, take taking hold of and then losing the promised land right yeah. what like why do we lose the promised land right throughout Nevi'im, right you see the the reason you're going to lose this land is why jesse because you're not following my, but like, but my, my what, but what, oh right with the, what the prophets talk about it is it is because of the one percent because we're only caring about ourselves and not taking right. care of the most vulnerable right so the you know so and i think that the i think the movie does a really like uh profound job of showing um, how, you know, how the, the, you know, the, the sort of capitalist dream of America that may work for a small percentage of Americans increasingly doesn't work for a larger share of Americans. And it's, it's, um, ultimately not going to be good even for that 1%, right? Um, like this, it's, it's unsustainable to have a society where your where your elderly people, you know, are all, dislocated like that right it's 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 unsustainable to have a society where um where more and more people have less and less you know the, the jewish story this the history of our people the story of our people is one of wandering not just wandering in the wilderness but as a result my grandfather uh got very upset at me when he first found out that we had not um gotten passports for our children because he he is somebody who grew up where he, he he carried his passport with him everywhere he went. He was not a survivor of the Shoah. Um, you know, he grew up in America, but his parents taught him that you never know when it will no longer be safe for us here anymore, and we have to leave. That 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 is a certain generational mindset, um, and, and so there is part of that about the Jewish people being wanderers. Um, that our only homeland was the land of Israel, and everywhere else. We are, are, are sort of um, uh, the, um, 
Ger Toshav, as the, as the Torah uh, refers to us, as sort of the, the resident alien, if you will. Um, I'm not sure that that is my understanding, right? I, I found a home in America as, a, as an American Jew, as a Jewish American. And so even the idea of wandering as a part of our presence, I get it as a part of our past as a Jewish people, but a part of our presence is really hard for me to understand and appreciate. So listen, I mean, I, I'm both a person who, you know, is, uh, appreciates the, you know, the, the, the comfort and stability of the life that I have, right? I don't want to, you know, give off the impression that, you know, that, that I'm, you know, uh, so altruistic and so virtuous that, you know, that, that I could, I could leave, I could walk away from my house tomorrow, uh, with just the clothes on my back and be perfectly happy. I think that, uh, I would struggle with that a lot. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that there's something, you know, um, something, uh, deep in the Jewish soul um, that, you know, whether by, whether by choice or whether by circumstance, like we are a wandering people, you know, there's a, there's a tradition of having, you know, a, a suitcase packed, right? Not just having a passport, having a passport, having cash, having a suitcase packed in part in case you need to run away, right? In case the Cossacks come, right? Uh, and, uh, and in part in case the Mashiach comes, Right. Um, so, may, you know, like we need should be ready at a moment's notice to leave things behind. This is also a Buddhist insight, by the way, like that, you know, the, the nature of suffering is too much attachment. Right. Like yeah. we get we get so uh, bound up by our by our things that are actually defined by impermanence. Right. Like, you know, uh, like I see this in my house. You know, I like take a year and like don't power wash my house. Like the whole thing looks like it's going to crumble. Right. So um, like we live, we, you know. Uh, we build impermanent structures every uh, every fall in Sukkot, but it's actually a reminder that in truth we all we live in impermanent structures. We shouldn't get too attached to them, uh, and I think that that's that there's something really powerful about that. That's why I think I was so attracted to USY on Wheels and why I travel is such an important part of my life. Is you know I um I uh, that that sort of exploration, that discovery, you know that sense of uh um that sense of you know uh recognizing that like we are we are in some ways like born to move um and to and to and to learn and to grow and there's a way in which you can't do that when you're too attached to one place um i think that's a fair point living off the grid is very attractive for a period of time for me right you know read a book or my wife read a book about um a family who decided to buy a sailboat and sail across the world um Right. And I was like, oh, that's amazing uh, for a period of time. I don't know if, right, I would want that for my entire life. Going camping and without any cell service for a week, that's really amazing and incredible. I don't know if I would want that uh, for my life. And I think that that's what's hardest for me. Um, before we end, I just want to bring back uh, where we started the idea of Amazon. Um, and it was really timely as Amazon is going through the, this fight right now to the point where President Biden intervened with, with a, a statement about the fights um, out of Alabama for Amazon workers to unionize and uh, Amazon, the um, largest company in the country most profitable company in this country that has become so much more profitable actually during this pandemic right. that they're pushing against unionization that they would sign off and be okay with a movie that focuses on these seasonal workers that can't make ends meet, right? That have right. to live 
in a van in an RV park. Right. And then, and then, you know, when the season is over, they, you know, Amazon pulls their contract with the, with the motel or the RV park. Right. And you know, their, their, you know, space, their, their rent goes up basically. And right. And they can't, they can't even stay there anymore. You know, it's, it's amazing that Amazon agreed to be part of this movie. Um, You know, on the one hand, you can make an argument and, and companies like Amazon do that they're providing, you know, they're providing employment and a service for, for, you know, for people who want it. On the other hand, it's profoundly exploitative, right? And, um, you know, I, I get the sense in the movie, right, to the, you know, to the question about like, you know, Fern choosing this life, if Amazon had made her job permanent at that, at that plant, right, would she have stayed? I think absolutely she would have. That's a fair point. Right? Would, would she, have, she, she had what, to go. Would she have stayed in a home uh, and not lived out of her van? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. You know, it it reminds me a lot. I I spent time when I lived in Florida with the Coalition of Immokalee Workers uh, and really focusing on the agricultural workers, um, specifically those in Immokalee, Florida, who pick our tomatoes and how that's a seasonal job. And in different seasons, they're up north picking watermelon, um, picking different uh, vegetables in other Tomatoes. parts of the country and, and how these are all really seasonal jobs. But for them, that's not by choice either, right? Mm-hmm. They would love a job where they could be in one place uh, throughout the year and not have to go seasonally where the agricultural jobs are. It's a really good question. Would she have stayed in one place mm-hmm. if she wasn't only depending on these seasonal jobs where she could just stay? Right. So I think that that's, I think that that's, you know, sort of the, to me, the, the moral question at the, at the heart of this movie and at the heart of our society is it's not necessarily saying that capitalism is inherently immoral, but when, but, you know, unchecked capitalism that sees people purely as, you know, commodities, purely as, you know, uh, either sources of labor or, uh, or, or consumers, Right. And you're, you're like, you're either one of those categories, but not actual human beings. Right. That uh, that deserve dignity and and life. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, um, that that companies have a responsibility to the human beings that both they serve as their customers and that they employ as their workers, um, you know, is is profoundly unjust and inhumane. You know, I think it, I, the, the movie made me really question my relationship with with Amazon. Um, it's tough. Like I, my wife said to me afterwards, she's like, do you think that we could, you know, live without Amazon? Uh, it would be hard. I think we right. could. It would be hard. And I think that that's kind especially, of strikes. especially during this pandemic. Yeah. Amazon has has uh, has had extraordinary profits during this pandemic. They have benefited from this pandemic immensely. Um, and yet, you know, um, their workers have have suffered, right? They, you know, uh, worse hours, fewer benefits, lower wages. Um, it, you know, it's, um, it, you know, we, we, Walmart used to be the focus of that, right? To say like, you know, Walmart will only employ their employees so much um, to, you know, to avoid having to pay, you know, healthcare benefits for them sure. or whatever, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think that that hopefully this movie, like like all good art should, should spark a conversation in our society about our relationship, our relationships as consumers with these kinds of companies like Amazon and the role our society, you know, uh, kind of symbolized by our government or epitomized by our government plays in, in saying, you know, um, 
we are all for companies turning a profit and for uh, and for people, you know, uh, pursuing and accumulating wealth. But there's only so like you can only go so far before you're doing that, you know, in a way that that is too exploitative of labor and um, and and and. and ignores too much the the real human beings the real human lives um that that are caught up in the system and i think that that has been exemplified also during the pandemic when we call essential workers essential right. workers right. when they're essentially uh expendable workers they are working and putting their lives at risk and their health at risk um so that we don't have to so that we could stay at home and get everything delivered via amazon that we need um so that we can be safe we have the luxury of working from home being remote, being socially distanced, and, right. and they don't. And, right. and um, I want to acknowledge that as well. Um, all in all, I thought um, the the storytelling is what I had the most problem with, that, but um, I appreciate, Mike, what you said. Well, thank you. Um, and well, I'm really excited for Chloe Zhao to, uh, to direct The Eternals, uh, the, the next Marvel Studios big right. blockbuster movie so, uh, in, in November. And this, is, and this is also what I need to say. I know that it's that in some ways it's been, uh, you know, a, a long stretch without a Marvel movie. Uh, and, you know, we would some of that itch has been scratched by WandaVision. But I have two things to say. One is that it was nice to see a piece of art that uh, was not produced by Marvel, you know, talking about, you know, uh, or Disney, uh, talking about, you know, uh, our fealty to our cor corporate overlords. Uh, Fair. Number one. Uh, number two, in my opinion, you know, for all of the, you know, think pieces that were produced uh, marveling, to pardon the pun, at how WandaVision was this extraordinary uh, meditation on, on grief, um, which I thought was you know, totally undercut by the last episode, but we can maybe talk about that in a different uh, edition of, of Pop Torah. Um, I thought that this was a movie that, you know, really, that really dug into issues of grief in a, in a much more profound and adult way than, than WandaVision. I think WandaVision did a good job for a superhero show to do that. And, and that hadn't been explored in the same way. Um, but here was a movie I thought that like really kind of meditated on, you know, the, the nature of loss and, and of, of grief and what we, what we do with that in different ways that, that, you know, people grapple with, you know, those kinds of um, significant life transformations um, and, and, you know, and, and uh, grief and joy um, in, in a really beautiful and, and um, sometimes heart-wrenching way. Amen. Amen. Well, we got to go. Uh, but uh, uh, we maybe head out on that open road. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm we'll might, see you uh, again. I might say. hop in. Yeah. What, what, is, uh, what does Bob say? See you down the road? See you down the road. See you down the road. Well, until then, I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Take care, everyone.